You're listening to the Sermon Podcast for the Peak Church, located in Apex, North Carolina. Our church is striving to welcome all who are feeling disconnected from God. And so our hope is that over the next several minutes, you will connect with the God that we are talking about, and you'll resonate deeply with the life that this God wants for you. We hope you enjoy. All right. Well, good morning again, everyone. Those of you who are tuning in both online and here in person, welcome to the Peak Church and welcome to worship here this morning. Today, we are continuing a sermon series you can see by way of the screens behind me, a little mini series here at the end of our summer entitled Mixtapes. Mixtapes. For the last several weeks and for the next couple, we're asking this question of where and how have we encountered God in and through music? right? In and through all different sort of genres of music. And so, so far we've covered pop and we've covered hip hop. And so uh, if you missed those and you're like, oh dang, like I want to uh, dive into those, you can find those online. You can find them in the podcast. Uh, but today, uh, if you are someone who's been sitting idly by saying, you know, enough with today hits, I want the old stuff. I want the good stuff. I'm not coming to church until you start preaching about the oldies. If that's you, Today's your day. Here we go. Today, we're going to dig in and we're going to ask the question of where and how have we had encounters with God? What things can we learn about the spiritual life? What things can we learn about the Christian life in and through uh, artists like the Beatles, artists like the Rolling Stones, Bob Dylan, uh, just to name a few, right? And I'll share that uh, what's so fascinating is as I was preparing for this weekend, as I was preparing for this weekend uh, and preparing this series, one of the things that I discovered about oldies music that's really different from every other genre of music is this. Oldies is the only genre of music that's classified and defined by time, not style, right? So most genres, they're defined by style, country, techno, Latin, all of those different sorts. Like, it's very, very clear. By the way, did you know there's a genre called pirate metal? exactly what it sounds like, too. Exactly what it sounds like. Check that junk out on Spotify after you leave here today. Got some bangers on there. Anyway, so most genres are defined, they're categorized, they're nuanced by style, but oldies are defined by time. Meaning, all of the songs that are lumped into the category of oldies were really just the pop and rock songs that were played on the radio 50, 60 years ago. And so what that means is that if history repeats itself, all of the people who like to say, no, I like like, the new stuff on the radio, like that's what I'm into, there will come a day when your music will now be known as oldies. I love talking to like Gen Z and millennials about this who are always like, no, man, like I'm into like edgy music, like Billie Eilish and like those folks, right? And they forget that one day they're going to wake up and Billie's going to look like this. And the little new kids are going to call her music vintage. Vintage. That's like a a kind of respectful way of saying old. Um, This happened to me yesterday, actually, at the soccer field. So I coached my daughter's soccer team. One of the little seven-year-olds ran to me. They go, hey, Coach Kyle, Coach Kyle, Coach Kyle. Have you ever heard of, like, this really old rapper? Like, seriously so old. His name's Eminem. I was like, all right, have a seat. You get no playing time today. Right over here. Right over here. And so I guess when I 
discovered this this week, and I'm reading it and studying it alongside our scripture passage for today, it kind of begs the very question that the author of Ecclesiastes poses at the end of chapter 1 when he says, is there really anything new under the sun? Or are we just simply, as human beings in each generation, just simply rediscovering the same thing that previous generations have discovered to be true about God, about life, about existence, but we just package it up differently in different artists, in different styles, different wrapping paper, right? I think one of the things that oldies does for us is when we read and we uh, recite and we uh, sort of meditate a lot of these lyrics, we realize that, no, what's true is the stuff that stands the test of time that we can still sing now and mean just as much today as we would have 50, 60 years ago. And I would argue it's that kind of stuff, it's that kind of wisdom that our world is starving for today. So how do we find it? Where do we find it? Where can we encounter it all around us? We're going to find out. So if you have your Bibles or your smart devices with you and you want to follow along uh, here today, or again, if you're tuning in online, you want to uh, tune in, uh, you want to sort of figure out where we're camped out. Again, uh, Liz read from Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 1. This is a book in the Old Testament, so this is before Jesus ever shows up. And um, I just want to say (laughs) up front that if during Liz's reading at any point you were like, that's in the Bible? Uh, That's understandable, okay? That's understandable, right? Like it leads off with this. Perfectly pointless, says the teacher. Perfectly pointless. Everything is pointless. It almost sounds like a teenager who's coming home from school and like just got broken up with. Nothing matters. What do people gain from all the hard work that they have under the sun? He keeps going, right? Keeps going. All words are tiring. No one's able to speak. The eye isn't satisfied with seeing. Neither is the ear filled up with hearing. And so over and over and over again, right out of the gate, the author is sort of commiserating and has become so cynical and skeptical and pessimistic about life and about existence and about the meaning of life. And so some of you, as you're listening to this, you're probably like, whew, like, that's weird. Like, I never hear people in church uh, talk like that. Like, that's very strange. But others of you, as you're listening to this, maybe, just maybe, It was oddly comforting to hear those words from a biblical author. It was kind of comforting to hear that, oh, like someone was talking like that in the Bible? Uh, Funny story, hilarious, reminds me of uh, one of you a couple months ago. uh, You know who you are. They sent me this meme uh, because I preached on Ecclesiastes a while back. It says, me is depressed, reads Ecclesiastes, depressed, but biblically, (laughs) Right? So next time you're feeling down, so next time you're feeling depressed, and people, you know, just cheer up. Like, I'm just following Scripture, honey. Just following Scripture. It's biblical. But I think, like, again, like, all jokes aside, when I read this book, and one of the things that I do as a preacher every single week as I'm preparing for a sermon is I will spend some time asking the question, you know, at some point in the early church's history, they made a conscious decision. We have to make sure this book is included in the final edition. We have to make sure. That believers, Christians, thousands of years in the future, read this book. Why? Why? And my hunch is, 
that one of the reasons why is because, friends, oftentimes when you come to church or when you do a Bible study or you read scripture on your own, oftentimes the Bible serves as God's words to you, right? Giving you advice, giving you direction, giving you commandments, things you ought to do, ways in which you can be better. But one of the things I love, love, love about the Bible is that in addition to that, there are also a handful of examples of where the Bible is not only God's word to us, but sometimes it can serve as our words to God. It can be the script you go off of when you've become cynical, when you've become skeptical, when you've become negative, when you're like, man, I don't know, like, I don't know what the meaning of any of this is, and I don't see any value in my marriage or in my family life or in my work life. I feel like I'm just sort of existing and stumbling my way through this life. It doesn't feel like any. The Bible here in this moment is a beautiful, gentle whisper into our hearts. Yo, you're not alone. Ecclesiastes is a beautiful, gentle voice saying, it's possible to be a person of faith who is also at times a person of doubt, a person of struggle, a person of deep, deep, deep questioning about the worth and value and meaning and purpose of any of this. And so one of the purposes, again, is to be that voice of empathy, to be that voice of understanding, to say, hey, I've been there too. And I don't know about you, but those are the people I trust the most. Those are the only people I trust spiritually, I will say. I don't care. It's like that saying. Uh, You heard the saying before. It's like, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. You heard this before? You heard this before? So corny, so daggum true, right? So true. Like, I don't give a rip how much you know about what I'm struggling with, I got to know that you can empathize with my experience and you care about me as a human being, right? It's those people I trust. It's those people I follow, right? And so one of the things that I love so much about reading Ecclesiastes and studying in this context is that um, most scholars believe that, uh, so Ecclesiastes was written first, but the same author wrote the book of Proverbs, and most scholars believe that Proverbs happened second. Proverbs happened toward the end of the author's life. After he's gained a little bit of wisdom, right? He's been around this block a time or two. So imagine like Ecclesiastes is some dude who is in his 20s and his 30s going through like a quarter or even like a midlife crisis. And then uh, in Proverbs, he's sort of reaching the end of his life and he's reflecting back on his experience. And it's almost like in Proverbs chapter 3, he's speaking to an earlier version of himself when he says this, Proverbs chapter 3, Just be careful, though, when you find yourself in that place, when you're going through struggles and you're doubting and you're questioning and you're cynical and pessimistic about everything, make sure you trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't just rely on your own intelligence. Don't only rely upon your own understanding. And this is where we get the flip side of the coin, right? So now Scripture is not only empathizing with my experience, Saying, yes, it's okay, Kyle, when you find yourself questioning and wrestling and struggling and being cynical and skeptical. 
but it's also offering me direction. It's also offering me guidance. It's saying, don't put too much stock, though. Don't put too much stock when you find yourself in that place, in your own understanding, your own sort of perspective, because you can't see the whole picture. On the whole, I believe the chief reason why Ecclesiastes made it into the final edition, why we're still reading it and studying it thousands and thousands of years later, is because it was meant to be a voice from the distant past saying to us, just as relevant now as it was back then, when you find yourself in a place where you are talking like him or thinking like him. Let's just be real honest for a minute, okay? We're not going to do raise of hands or anything like that. But if all of us were honest this morning... You've been there, right? You've been there with your job. You've been there in your relationships. Maybe it's a friendship that you feel like you're just going around circles with. Or maybe, again, it's like existential. You just sort of like look around. Maybe it's suffering. Maybe it's the stagnation you're going through in life. Maybe you feel like you've just sort of plateaued. And like, so all of these things, they just sort of, what they do is that experience invokes this sort of like, man, like, is any of this even worth anything? Does my life matter at all to anyone? What am I doing? And in those moments, what the book of Ecclesiastes is a testament to is that what we need, what we need is wisdom. What we need is wisdom. I'm convinced that here in today's society, we don't need any more information. We need wisdom. You know the difference? You know the difference? Information is just like stats, right? It's just things. Information is just knowledge about something. Wisdom is someone coming alongside you and teaching you how to use it, teaching what to expect. We need that right now. As a society, as individuals, we need that. Kyle, though, how do we find it? So glad you asked. Uh, We find it uh, actually in really predominantly two ways, two ways, the first of which is this. If ever you find yourself in this place in life where you're like, man, I don't know, like I just find myself asking a lot of questions about the meaning and purpose of what the heck I'm doing here and what I'm committing my life to and energy to and attention to, the first thing, if the first place to start is if you're looking for wisdom, if you want more wisdom in your life, you want more perspective beyond what you have the ability on your own to see, guess what? Good news. Number one, you can seek it from God directly. You can seek it from God directly. James chapter 1 verse 5 says this. Anyone who needs wisdom should ask. Should ask God because in his very nature, it's his very nature to give to everyone without a second thought, without keeping score. Another translation just says this. It says, if you want wisdom, ask for it. It'll be given to you. Over and over and over again, what we see in Scripture, what we see from Jesus himself, is Jesus sometimes would need to withdraw from his life, withdraw from the crowds. You better believe he felt guilty. So he was like tempted to feel guilty about that too. He knew he was here for a short time, but he took the time to withdraw to the hills, withdraw to the wilderness to pray and to get perspective on how to see and live into what God was calling him to do on this earth. Some of you know this about me. You know that that's actually part of my weekly rhythm. Every single week I try, I don't get it perfect, but I try every single week to carve out at least one hour, one hour where I can go for a walk and just process my life with God and pray and seek God's perspective on what it is I'm doing and where that is the heck I'm going. And I had to do so uh, this past week. 
because I found myself in an Ecclesiastes 1 sort of moment, okay? So if ever you're like, well, I, don't, I don't know if like, I'm allowed to like, confess that here in this space, okay? I'll go first. I had one this past week where I was asking myself the meaning and the purpose of all of this. And the reason for which is because, okay, again, safe space, safe space. Sometimes it's just hard living in suburbia, okay? Sometimes it's just, let's just be safe, okay? Let's just all be honest for a moment. Is it not true that if you live in suburbia, that sometimes, sometimes it feels like you're riding a never-ending carousel? Doesn't it? Sometimes it feels like you're just doing the same thing every day. I wake up, I make the kids breakfast, I make their lunch, I send them to school, I pick them up from school, and then we do it again the next day, and the next day, and the next day, and the next day, and the next day. It gets, it's, it's almost suffocating. And so I was having a moment. I was having a moment. And so I went, and I went for a walk, and I was just sort of lamenting. I was saying, I just feel like, I don't feel like what I'm doing is, has much meaning or has much purpose. It feels so monotonous. It feels so mundane. I feel so stagnant. I feel like I'm doing the same thing I was doing last week. It's just, every week's the same. Every day's the same. I don't know what to do about it. And don't get it twisted. It's not as if every single time I do this, God goes, hello, Kyle, let's talk together. Uh, because that's not what happens. That's not what happens. In fact, like 75% of the time, I feel like God just goes, all right, I'm listening. All right, I'm listening. All right, I'm listening. But this time, I felt God impart some wisdom. This time, I felt like God capitalized on the space I gave. When I sought wisdom directly, God used it. And I felt God impart two things to me this past week. Two things to me that changed my perspective, changed all the cynicism and pessimism I was feeling. The first thing that God reminded me of is part of the reason why I feel this, this stagnancy here in like this suburban sort of life, this sort of existence. Uh, The first reason is because I decided to have kids. God was like, I didn't tell you to have kids. You decided to have kids. That was your decision. And so if you have kids, they have to go to school. In order to live with those kids and actually enjoy existence, you have to have a job. And you have to keep doing those things at least five days a week. So, like, this is, like, I didn't ask you to do this. You signed up for that. Um, but I was reminded sort of in that moment that this is a season. And uh, the author of Ecclesiastes goes on in uh, chapter 3. He talks about this is a season of life for everything. And I was reminded in this moment God was saying, this is a season of investment. That it is a sacred use of your time to invest in creating children, stewarding your children, trying to not pass on the same baggage that you received onto them, trying to make them healthier and more beautiful people than you could ever be. That's a sacred job. That's a sacred use of your time. And the other reason that I felt God sort of impart upon me in that moment is he said, Kyle, the other reason why you feel this way, you feel this sort of like, you know, if you don't feel content, you don't feel fully satisfied and fulfilled all the time, part of the reason why you also feel that is because you are not destined for this world. What does scripture say, friends? It says, you and I are called to be in this world, not of this world. And so as a result of that, if we're destined for heaven, we're destined for this glorious reunion between creation and the divine, then that means every day we're only going to be partly satisfied here. And that doesn't mean anything's wrong. In fact, that means something's right. That means that your soul is alive. 
and craving the one who created you, craving the one who's going to reunite with you in the life to come. And so I, I'm a visual learner. So immediately as I was sort of like having this walk, I was thinking of this. You guys have seen this uh, thing before. Like if you go to like a restaurant, or you go to the doctor and they go, please raise your experience here today. Are you feeling a little angry as you leave or really excited? Please hit the green button. Please, please, we get a raise. Okay, so I was thinking about this like on the sort of happiness scale. And uh, all of you, most of you have seen a, a bell curve before. And I started thinking that this is actually what's true of life. That here in this earth, here in this life, not the one to come, but here in this one, my life is going to look like this. That I'm going to have moments here on the far left side. I'm going to have, hopefully, hopefully, few moments that feel like hell. Where death and disease and betrayal and all of the things that make human existence so miserable, I'm going to have a couple of those moments. Hopefully, hopefully it's a couple. Hopefully it's just a handful. And on the far right-hand side, I'm also going to have these moments of heaven. I want to have these moments where it's like the divine, the, the, the world beyond this one pierced this one. And for just a moment, just for a fleeting second, I got a taste of what's to come. But the vast majority of my life here on earth, here on earth, is going to be somewhere in the middle. Somewhere in the middle. And again, maybe you're looking at this and that's, dep that's depressing to you, um, but it was liberating to me. It was liberating to me. Because for the first time in a really, really, really long time, maybe the first time ever, I was able to accept that here in this life, I'm not going to be, nor am I supposed to feel truly fulfilled. And that's because my soul is alive. And it's yearning and craving the thing to come, and it will until I die to sort of bring in the sermon series, to sort of bring in uh, oldies. Good Lord, Bob Dylan could talk about this all day. He's one of my favorites. Uh, but he has this line from one of his songs where he says this. He says, when you're sad and you're lonely and you haven't got a friend, just remember that death is not the end. When all that you've held sacred falls down and does not mend, just remember death is not the end. What I love so much about his wisdom here is that what he's reminding us of is that this life is not the ultimate destination. And when you feel that and you're confronted with that, that doesn't mean something's wrong. That means something's right. And so the first sort of application, the first response for us today as we head into the rest of our week is when you find yourself in that place and you're really cynical, really pessimistic, really struggling and questioning you know, what you're spending your life doing, what, you're, what your life is about. The first thing we need to be doing is seeking wisdom and seeking it from God directly. Now, some of you were intimidated by that because maybe you're new to faith. You're sort of kicking up your spirituality again. And you're like, yeah, like I don't, so I don't necessarily know how to do that. So like me and God, we're kind of like building a relationship again. So like, I don't necessarily know if I like, Kyle, that's wonderful. You can just go for a walk and hear all that. But like, I'm not there. And so the other place you can find it the other place you can find it is if you are someone, if not today, at some point needs perspective, you need guidance, you need wisdom, you can also find it indirectly through other people. You know this. 
You find it indirectly through people who are smarter than you, who are wiser than you, who've been doing this thing a little bit longer than you. Again, look at scripture, Proverbs chapter 19. Listen to the advice, listen to advice and accept instruction so you might grow wise in the future. Now, I'm gonna, um, I'm gonna pick on y'all just for a minute, okay? But it's not like y'all, I'm gonna pick on like all of us, okay? Pick on myself too. The thing about this is there's not a single soul listening to this online or here in person who disagrees with that. But there's only a fraction of people who actually do it. A survey came out recently and found this. It found that when polled, when polled, 76% of people said that having a mentor is really, really important. By the way, those of you who are leaders, those of you who are managers, those of you who are bosses in your organizations, 90% of employees who were assigned a mentor or they had like a mentoring program enjoyed their job more and stayed at their job longer. And 100% of the Fortune 50 companies in the United States have mentoring programs. Okay? I digress. 76% of people believe mentoring is important, but only a third are actually seeking it actually seeking wisdom that other people have that they don't. Again, this is where the wisdom of oldies comes to haunt us, quite frankly, in some regards. This line from the Eagles uh, says it poetically, perfectly, hauntingly. Freedom, oh freedom, well, that's just some people talking. Your prison, you want to live in prison. You want to live in prison. Spend the rest of your life walking through this world all alone. See, I'll figure it out. Like, I don't need to ask people's advice. I don't need to seek other people's wisdom. Like, I'm struggling in my faith, or I'm struggling in my marriage. I'm struggling in parenting. I'm struggling in my job. But it's okay. Like, this is how I do it, yo. Like, I just sort of, like, I stumble, and I get hurt because I, like, fall on my face. And then, but I get up, and I'm bleeding a little bit, and I dislocated my arm. But it's fine because then I get up, and I keep going. And I, eventually, years later, maybe, sometimes, like 10% of the time, I think I figure it out. We know this as human beings, but our actions say, I'd rather go through life ill-informed and reckless than actually learn from someone who's been around this thing a time or two. And maybe that's not you. Maybe you do have a mentor. You do have someone that's, again, to use scriptural language, who is discipling you. But many of us don't. I would argue that in my experience in talking to folks, the vast majority of Christians today don't have someone who is actively discipling them. Eugene Peterson used to say, a well-balanced Christian life is someone who is discipling someone and being discipled by another all the time. It's like a stream, that the gospel should be flowing through you. If it flows into you and stops and you don't do anything with it, that's incomplete. If you're just pouring into people and no one's pouring into you, also ain't going to work. You're going to run dry. Has to be both. And so maybe some of you have that. Some of you don't, though. Some of you don't. And maybe for you, it's a pride thing. Maybe it's a pride thing. Maybe you grew up in a house. You don't ask for help. You had a boss and a mentor and a coach and a pastor. You just never saw someone ask for help. So you just don't ask for help. Or maybe for you, it's just a, it's a time thing. Or time is your excuse. I'm just too busy. Got so much stuff going on. Or maybe for you, you just 
don't know how to find one. Let's get super practical on the ground, right? Super practical on the ground. So most people, I'm convinced, don't have one because, number one, society doesn't value mentorship anymore. And number two, no one told you how to do it, okay? So ready? Before you leave, I'm going to tell you how to do it, okay? This is going to be like matchmaking, dating advice, but uh, like mentoring style in church, okay? Here we go. Ready? Three, three steps. If you want to find a mentor, do this. Number one, identify the area you're seeking wisdom. So again, maybe it is in faith. Maybe it is in parenting. Maybe you're struggling with a child. You just feel like you can't reach through, can't get through to them. Or maybe for you, it's a, you're in school, and so it's a particular subject in school. Or I don't know what it is for you. Identify the area. Identify people in your life who have more wisdom than you. I guarantee as you're sitting here right now, you're like, yeah, I can think of like five people who I don't really have a deep friendship with them or relationship with them, but like they are definitely more wise than me. And number three, for the love of God, don't ask them to be your mentor. Just cultivate a friendship. Okay? I've, I'm literally, I'm watching some of y'all's eyes, and you're just like, I can't wait for him to finish because I'm going to run out of here. I'm going to ask him. I'm going to ask Cole, I'm gonna call, I'm gonna cold call seven people on my phone, and I'm just going to tell him. I'm going to ask him. Please, for the love of God, don't do that. Why? Because number one, it's super intimidating to be asked to be someone's mentor. Most people do not feel qualified to be another person's mentor. And secondly, just because it's crazy awkward. Okay? If any of you, I don't think there's a single person in this room who's listening to this who got married by walking up to your spouse whom you'd never talked to or met before and said, hello, would you like to enjoy a lifetime of covenantal marriage together? <laughs> nope. You did what every other self-respected human being does in this world. You lived in the friend zone for 18 months until they finally realized that they loved you and then bam, you tricked them into marrying you. That's what you did. Have some dignity, baby. I'm serious. I'm serious. If you want to find a mentor, do step one, do step two. And you know what I do? At every stage of my life, you know what I've done with this? Is I start a friendship. I cultivate a friendship. I feed a friendship. So I ask them out to lunch. I'm asking them out to coffee. And then while I got them, I ask them questions. I say, hey, if you got like 10 more minutes, I just have a quick question. Like, you seem like you have encountered this before. And I'm having this issue at work, in parenting, in my marriage, in my faith. I'm having this issue. And I just wondered, like, how did you handle it? How did you approach it? How did you navigate that? And guess what? They're mentoring you! Boom! Just like that! You didn't have to, like, fill out a contract before lunch is over. Okay, so can we agree to, like, every day at 7 a.m.? Like, no, you just, it's organic. It's flowing 61% of people who said they have a mentor said it happened organically. It just happened through really investing in it. Now, some of you, I'm looking at your faces right now. Some of you online, you guys are doing perfect. You guys are listening to this, and you're going to apply it, and you're like, yes, absolutely, Kyle, let's go. Hallelujah. Here we go. Step one through three, write them down. Here we go. But you can't see the faces of the people here in worship right now. They ain't buying it. Uh, they ain't buying it. Not everybody's buying it. Not everybody's buying it. Because, again, we live in this society that's like, yeah, like, mentorship, like, that just feels, like, optional. Like, if I got time, then I'll seek some, uh, you know, wise advice on, on someone else's part. Failing to realize this, failing to realize this, friends, the longer you go, the longer you go without having someone else investing into you, pouring into you, 
offering you perspective and wisdom and knowledge that you don't have, offering you things that you cannot see on your own. The longer you go doing that, you can do that, but the longer you decide to do that, the more time you will waste stumbling through having to figure out the answer to the question all by yourself. You see, people with mentors, people with uh, those uh, who are investing in them, Randall, you can put it up there, people who have someone walking alongside them and investing and pouring into them, I'm convinced we're all, again, nothing new under the sun. I think God is teaching all of us in some way the same lessons, trying to show all of us the same things. But those people who are being mentored, who are being shepherded, they're not wasting time trying to figure out the answers all by themselves. And again, this is where the oldies uh, uh, genre, the, these wonderful bands, these brilliant artists, this gives so much wisdom to us, right? What is the line from the Beatles? I get by by doing things all by myself, never asking anyone for any advice or guidance or direction. Doesn't sound as good, does it? I get by with a little help from my friends. I'll close here. Whether or not uh, this sermon hits you exactly where you are today or not, the fact of the matter is, is that eventually, at some point in life, you will be where the author of Ecclesiastes is in this moment. And I don't know what the thing will be for you. Again, maybe it'll be relationship-based. Maybe it's friendship-based. Maybe it's, again, maybe it's your faith. Maybe it's existential. Maybe you just find yourself, you're looking around at all the suffering in the world, and you just, it just causes you to go, I don't, what's the purpose of any of this stuff? And in that moment, maybe, Maybe you do need like a change, a change in your behavior, a change in your actions. I don't want to dismiss that. Or maybe what you need is simply a change in your perspective, a change in how you see your life, your world, your existence. Because sometimes a change in how you see changes what you see. Oftentimes when I go into issues, when I face things that I'm struggling with, I see this. And I assume what I can see is the whole picture, is all the information, is all the details, which makes those episodes of cynicism and pessimism all the more debilitating because I'm like, holy cow, I feel like I can see everything and I don't see the answer. So maybe there is no answer. Maybe all of this is just useless and pointless and maybe faith Face a waste of time and maybe investing and being a per good person in the world is a waste of time. Maybe people who will just betray my goodness and my love for them, so that's a waste of time. Maybe nothing is even worth any of this hassle. And the problem is when you do that, you fail to understand that while you see this, the reality is this. There is so much more. 
as scripture says, the God at work in the world can do infinitely more than you or I could ever ask or imagine. And here's the good news. He's standing by right now to show it to you. Maybe the real question is, do you want it? Thank you for listening to the Peak Podcast. Make sure you subscribe wherever podcasts can be found. For more information on how to get connected with our church, please visit us at thepeakchurch.org.